0: Pretty cool room we're in right now, except it's
1: really hot. Could be worse.
0: Could be worse. It Could be the desert. Also, I think one thing that helps the temperature of
1: this place is that Django's not in state. <laughs> yeah, he's not. He's not heating up the place. Um, it's Cajun heat.
0: Acceptable Podcast, episode 141, where every Tuesday we get a whole bunch of comic books from the UPS store, and we bring them to our comic shop and count them, sort them, love them, put them all away for our subscribers. Mostly that's Roman and I that do that. <laughs> uh, and then we take a bunch of the books that we're excited about back home and uh, engage in a very sort of uh, a give and take, artistic, charismatic, fun, colorful relationship with those comic books. Uh, and then we come back to the comics place that we love. And uh, have a big, wonderful Wednesday there, and we sell them and talk about them all day, and then we sort of seclude ourselves upstairs in the Papcast Studio, where we're we're in the sort of Papcast Closet today because there's a we're recording it at an unusual time because we've been just nonstop podcasting for the last week.
1: Can we call it the Papcast Cubby? The the
0: Pap Cubby, the Papcast no, pap Cubby. Cubby. Yeah, I like it. The PCC. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and we're gonna sort of just engage in a real brief podcast this week.
1: You've edited like seventy-five hours of podcasts, haven't you?
0: I've I've edited a lot, Um, and we're gonna. Roman and I are gonna engage a variety of tangents, either related to or unrelated to this comic shop that we love, these comic books that we love, or the comings and goings of our life. I'm Jeff, and yeah, I've edited uh, almost five hours of Q and A podcasts. I've got a three-hour Final Crisis podcast to edit, and then I've got this one. And we've recorded all of those in the last week, so I've just sort of been living at an editing board.
1: <laughs> and I'm Roman, and I've edited uh, no hours of podcasts, <laughs> but I've I've been on all those podcasts. Yeah, you have. <laughs> yeah, you have. You just, actually did just two final up crisis mic. ones.
0: <laughs> Man, debrief on that final crisis podcast. Thanks so much for joining us with mm. that one.
1: That, that, uh, you're welcome. Thanks for inviting me. That uh, that was so interesting because it's so hard to. Kind of like the book itself, it's so hard to be succinct yeah. and, and and not risk running into rambling side things when talking about Final Crisis.
0: And I, I feel bad because I talked a lot. I, I, I know I talk a lot in general, but I I really wanted to leave room for everybody to say stuff. But also, I was trying to summarize this thing. I think we were all in different spots well, with you it. D- so. You did
1: a great, great summary. You and Justin both were like sum things up much better than I than I could have well I appreciate coherently
0: um that one will be up within just a couple days of this one coming out um this one we're going to do a real brief one just a couple books to talk about so that it can go up quick and then I can get back to editing final crisis which is going to be a just a bear to edit I think, we'll, um,
1: think we'll have some spoilers in these couple of things we're going to talk about. Oh, we're going to spoil them. There's going to be some, some
0: kids <laughs> spoiling up there. That, uh, But that Final Crisis one, yeah, I, we need to get another graphic novel podcast up within a couple weeks so mm. that so that we can clean the palette of that one. Because that was my idea, and that was a terrible one to start with. <laughs> a terrible one to si- sort of like find your groove. We're going to get better at it. Everything is a learned skill, my friends. Yep,
1: everything. Practice. So,
0: we're gonna spoil some books, like Roman said, spoilers. Uh, but I'm just gonna to bring to the table my favorite book of the week. I'm gonna let Roman bring his favorite book to the table, uh, and then Roman, I'm gonna also ask him a couple questions about some other books that he's read. And then we're gonna answer hmm. one quick voicemail. Keep this whole thing to get you know about 30 minutes. Get, get in, get out.
1: Here's an idea for another podcast. Yeah. On tables. Oh. We just talk about our favorite tables. I Favorite styles tables. like like table fables, mid American. I mean,
0: that was a, <laughs> that was a killer bit. Right? Table fables. <laughs> um, I also want to mention uh, episode one forty part two just went up. Thank you so much to everybody who sent in questions, whether it was a voicemail or uh, an email question. We super appreciated that. There were a couple emails that came in either late or to an alternative email address. The So we've got a couple emails left. If you sent a question in and you didn't hear it on the show, it is not that it was a bad question. It was that we were running long and we we had so much fun. We really want to try and get some more questions on all the weekly episodes. So I'm looking at you, Josh. I'm looking at you, Mike. I'm looking at you, Andrew. Uh, Thank you so much for your questions. We're going to get to one today and we're going to keep peppering them in. So a big thank you and no one goes overlooked. Roman, what do you think is my favorite book of the week?
1: I bet it's something by that guy, um, um, Crickman, British guy, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Jay yeah. Hickey Hicks. Yeah, yeah, something to do with the uh, the, the X-Men.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, everybody, you're going to be hearing a lot about these Hickman books. We might even do a special just side project, a side podcast of the first half of it when we're like halfway through and just kind of get everybody on the mm. same page what or something. call that
1: one Side X. Oh,
0: <laughs> exc- yeah, there's something there, there's something there. <laughs> Um, But this one is, yeah, Uh, House of X was last week. This is Powers of 10, or Powers of X if you like, written by Jonathan Hickman with art by R.B. Silva. Now House of of X takes place over one very important day in the X-Men history. Hmm. Powers of 10, we now know, is a series that takes place over several periods of time. Each one, uh, a jump into the future by a power of 10. So we have present day, Year one, the dream. Uh, year ten, the world. Year one hundred, the war. And year one thousand, the ascension. Which just right off the back, woof, <laughs> sold like you can hear me choking down my uh, yeah strong feelings. And
1: present day is like the present day of House of X. I.
0: It almost feels a little bit past to me. It, because it does to me too. Yeah, Charles is at a carnival and Moira McTaggart shows up. I think it might be present day relative to Moira McTaggart because oh. as we're introduced in these first several pages, Charles Xavier is, is able to walk.
1: So I, to, I assume that was all a flashback because they met and had their romance years ago.
0: Yeah, so that's what I mean. I think that, I think that this is a flashback mm. to Charles because he can walk,
1: mm. but I
0: think it's maybe present day Moira McTaggart and I think she goes back in time oh. because he's like, do I know you? And she's like, yeah, we go way back. And then he has to read her mind. So oh. this wow. is... Timey-wimey. Yeah, it's very Dr. <laughs> so this is um, definitely uh, Moira McTaggart either from the future or knowing more than, than Charles does. And she's gone back in time. Or maybe it's present day and Charles has had his mind messed up or something. Who, who knows? But that's sort of our present day thing. Um, and then we... Uh, jump, (laughs) then we get this moment where sorry, (laughs) do we know one another? She says, oh yeah, we go back quite a ways. Who are you? Why don't you read my mind, Charles? Read my mind and see. And then he looks at her and he has a startled expression on his face and he says, ah. And we know from the previews that that page is labeled as the most important moment in X-Men history. Hmm. And we don't know why yet. Nimrod is a big part and this crazy red alien and they take the person that they captured and they give her a quote unquote bath where they stick her in some liquid to try and she's a robot cleaning out some servos or something and then we uh, see our, our escape people and they go through the, the black Krakoan seed to the nowhere hub and it's upside down and it's this dark area but we get a crew who's waiting for him to return and who is it spoilers It looks like Magneto, Wolverine, some type of group variation, and some type of Zorn variation that we saw on House of X number one. And they say, did you get it? And they say, we got it. And then Wolvie says, all right, then follow me. The old man's waiting. And we get no closure on who that old man is. (laughs) And then amongst that issue, we get some awesome double page info dump Hickman style. I'm talking about things like three pages on the futuristic... Sinister based, Mister Sinister based cloning and uh, genetic experiment mutant species that we had, and we're hanging out with the Colossus magic hybrid. And what we realize is that they've combined the alleles from Quentin Quire's telepathy, Ilyana Rasputin's abilities. We've got Kitty Pride, Laura Kinney, uh, and, and they've combined the, the mutant attributes of several mutants into these one mutants. And we
1: yeah, and I forget what they call those um...
0: chimeras.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Come Yeah. And I really like that concept and the fact they genetically created some these red Nightcrawler looking people, except they were bred kind of to be non-aggressive. So like the one we meet, I mean, his teammates kind of disrespect him and and, um, are resentful toward him. Because he has no aggression, so he then they regard him as a coward, but, you know, he can't help it. That's he's a total passive The way he was programmed. I mean, yeah, he's like, I wish I could yeah. trade
0: myself for the person that got captured. And, you know, our yeah. Rasputin character is like, yeah, I, I wish you could have yeah, also. Yeah,
1: I really like that tension there.
0: What I also really like with this Chimera cloning thing that we're learning, and these info dumps are coming from 100 years in the future, is that in the last 100 years, there's been four generations of clones that Mr. Sinister has been manipulating and combining DNA for. And as these generations continued, there was an increasing rate of the chimeras having a defect that would prevent them from being controllable. And in Generation 1, it was 0.3%. Generation 2, 1.2%. Generation 3, 94 But by Generation 4, 62.3%. And we get these little side things about how there was this great human mutant machine war on Mars and X amount of the population was lost. And we, we hear about, you know, the kennel where they were breeding these folks and where the surviving mutants are. Roman, what did you think oh, of man. this? <laughs>
1: um, I like House of X a little more, but this blew me away in different ways. Hick- Hickman's so good. These info dumps. I was worried I was... I was how. Let me back up. I was worried I'd have a little trouble maybe with the time jumps, but no trouble at all. I yeah. mean, I love that device of, of powers of X. Yeah. That is cool. Um, the history he hints at there and in the info Ugh. dumps is so cool that at one point, you know, mutants were almost wiped out. Then I think whatever this war was happened, and then humans are pretty much almost wiped out except for in the preserve. And mutants have, I mean, they're all over the place. All over the earth, there's a colony... I think in Kree space, and there's like colonies around and stuff. Um, It's it's an amazing thing, and the stuff with the genetics and the engineering, um, the Mister Sinister engineering stuff. Nimrod was cool. I never thought Nimrod was cool. Yeah, and 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 he's also kind of cute. Yeah, this future version, like he's like he's like adorable and 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 cute, and you and just adorable, and yet he's also like killing people and right. talking about, you know, doing horrible things to mutants.
0: I love how well Jonathan Hickman can humanize the cold, objective aspects of brilliance. Like, yeah. even in House of X, like, when Magneto was, like, this sort of totalitarian evil guy, but he was doing it in a dignified way. Like, I think Jonathan Hickman can dignify the, the bad parts of personality. He can mm. dignify evil and brilliance better than just about any writer that I know of. I
1: love the fact that we spoiled Magneto when we see him in the future. He's got a green costume, which like, that's totally new. Yeah. We see him in red and white, now green. That's exciting. <laughs> Do you think the old man is Professor X or Cyclops?
0: Yeah, that's a great... <laughs> I didn't think about Cyclops. I don't know if it's Charles, but I, yeah. I love that cliffhanger. I also would say, I think I liked House of X a tiny bit more. It's hard to say.
1: Yeah, they're such different books, but
0: which is crazy at how similar and how different they are. Yeah, like we weren't over the moon about the art in House of X. I like yeah. the art in House of X a little bit more than Powers of Ten, mm-hmm. but they're doing a fantastic job of making it almost look like the same artist. I don't know if the same inker and colorers is working together, but it looks almost seamless.
1: Yeah, yeah, which is which is very and I and I felt the same way and I don't even remember who the artist is. You said it was R.B. Silva on this? Yeah. Okay.
0: Um, What I really am loving is that this one I don't think could have functioned as the first issue quite as well. Mm -mm. It is... In reading House of X, I was anticipating where the story was going. And Powers of Ten here has given me answers or solutions to some of the questions that I had posed. And in doing so, it has not lessened... You know how in, I don't know if you've ever watched Lost, Roman, but Lost no. was kind of a show that was several seasons and there was always a big mystery. And they, as soon as they would answer a question, or they would never really answer a question, they would just sort of re- make bigger questions and bigger questions. And to the end, it was just sort of like being teased for several years and there was not a lot of resolution. This is, I can't, it's similar but the exact opposite in that it's giving me closure about things and then making me pose larger questions. Hmm. But the larger questions that it's giving me, I feel like m- I'm more informed in posing these new questions. So like, he's doing that give and take of mystery and exposition mm. in a masterful way.
1: Yeah, yeah, Super. yeah. And I love, and that's what I love about these text pieces, which at first, like just flipping through, it looks like a, like it might be a chore to read them. Don't think that. Don't give into that that instinct because there's so much. Great inform- story information in those that would take you know like three issues to explain that whole like center spread thing he he does there with the genetics and Mister Sinister's program and all that.
0: I'm so in agreement. <laughs> like it is, it is issues of information. Yeah, and it's oh, it's so good. And yeah. now I just want to know how he's gonna explain those things in House of X. And oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm so excited by it. it. Makes me so excited, like. It's giving more information, but I, like, I've read this twice now. All I want to read it again. I want to read House of X again. Like, I've never had, <laughs> like, truly, in the six years that I've been working here, I've never had a book make me want to read it over and over again, except for Pax Americana by Grant Morrison. <laughs> now, that's one that you can read over and over again. But this is, oh, uh, it's just all I want to do. It's all I'm thinking <laughs> about. I love it so much.
1: I know. It's, it's so intriguing. I mean, I mean... <sighs>
0: So check this out. Uh, Our awesome listener, Dino, brought up uh, how one of these InfoDubs talks about where the surviving mutants are. There's a colony called Benevolence in the Shi'ar homeworld that's got almost 8,000 people. There's a second place in the Shi'ar homeworld called Chandelar that's got almost 2,000 people. And then there's Asteroid K, which has eight surviving people. And as I was just doing my second read-through on it, the image for that is an island with a tree. You know what that makes me think of? makes me think of Jonathan Hickman's Avengers run when Captain America was being shot forward through time. It was right before Secret Wars. There was this thing where he kept kind of like showing up at a time and he would disappear and then he would go like 100 years in the future. He went to the very end of time. And at the very end of time, he was on this floating island with like Franklin Richards and a tree. And that tree was Groot. And I wonder if (laughs) Asteroid Cave is that island at the end of time where only 8 people are, because there's also this mutant when we see Green, Cyclo- or Green Magneto, and Wolverine that looks like Groot.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So I wonder... Like an, like
1: an older, bigger, mutated Groot.
0: <laughs> yeah, so I wonder if he's sort of doing that thing wow. where he's referencing... And I don't know if that's what it is, because it's just a very vague image, a glyph that looks like an island with a tree, but it made me think of that Hickman island with a tree in his Avengers run right before Secret Wars.
1: Boy, that would be cool. Okay, and I didn't remember that. Uh, it all made me think of, well, I figured the K must be for Krakoa. But yeah. the tree made me think of the world, Ig- trail the world tree. Yeah. Which could they could all fit together.
0: <laughs> so here's a question. I don't know a ton about X-Men history. I've read a fair number of things, but it's sort of, it's all over the place. I haven't read a, a conceptual history. What's Asteroid M?
1: That was Magneto's, at one point he had, he had his base on an asteroid, um kind of in orbit around earth i forget it was i think it was before claremont and burns run um and austin's run so i don't know, i think it's maybe something that popped up during neil adams when he was the artist on okay. it so late 60s early 70s and so he...
0: yeah I, I agree i, I liked house of a tiny bit more but i liked this one in a really different way i love the, the world that he's alluding to. I love the time jumps. And Hickman's very good at it. He did it with New Avengers and Adventures. He did it with Fantastic Four and FF. He's so good at having multiple books work in concert with one another. And this one blows me away. It's it's my own personal 10. I couldn't be more excited to be reading it. I, it's Yeah, it's just a Jeff and Roman sushi shop. <laughs> Come and have clams. But uh, it's... But I think that... You know the art isn't perfect. It's totally fine. It doesn't detract. So I think the objective part of my brain wants to say 8.5, but the me part of it is saying 10, mm. and that's I sort of always wrestle with those two spots. But I, I'm writing this book at a 10. I I don't buy issues. I wait to buy a really expensive dumb hardcovers. It's when I started working here, I had to say I, I can't collect a hundred thousand boxes of comics. Yeah, I have three <laughs> copies of House of X with different covers, and I have three <laughs> copies of Powers of Ten with different covers. Like I am. Fanboyed out,
1: did you even get the action figure cover? No, okay, I didn't think so. I th- I didn't think you liked that one.
0: no, I didn't None I of just liked that one. <laughs> yeah, I took that one because no one wants it. Uh, what do you give it? what that was my big old dump truck of
1: love, yeah, yeah, I'll give I had the same thing. I was thinking nine point five but and I haven't reread it yet, but I've been thinking about it ever since I read it like three days ago.
0: It's better on um, a reread. yeah, it's better around two. because yeah. this one th- it, this one threw more at you than the first one, yeah. Yeah, it was more confusing.
1: Yeah, and I'm thinking a comic that can make you want to reread it so many times, and it's still enjoyable. Um, that's got that's got to be a ten. God, I mean, be. just a comic that can do that. Wow. <laughs> All
0: right. So, what was your pick of the week? What um, was your double gooey duck? What my pick what of the week. What clam did you throw on the table?
1: Any funny? You should mention clams because uh-huh. it's Fantastic for number twelve. And the thing and Alicia go off on their honeymoon, and, and here's the clam reference, and they're at some tropical beach resort, and they're in a cabin right on the beach. So there's got to be clams.
0: Oh, there's got to be. I thought you were going to say there was a clam. but I'll, no, I'll there, there wasn't any clams
1: it. pictured, but I, I'm assuming there's clams. There's got to be. Can you just imagine the thing on the beach just, like, digging in the earth barehanded and <laughs> pulling up clams and things?
0: Um, I can. And while you tell me about this issue, I'm going to find a, a picture for you that I can't wait to show you.
1: All right. Um. So in this issue, after they had all the deal with Dr. Doom and Galactus and then the War of the Realms, the thing, and Alicia finally get to go on their honeymoon. Um, And and I've forgotten about this. Turns out they're still in FF, in continuity. The the thing, Ben, once a year, he becomes human again. Hickman. Yeah, for a little while. Did Hickman introduce that? Reintroduce that? Cool. Um, Well, they're still doing that. And so before they leave for their honeymoon, Reed has made this uh um wristband that is going to count down to the millisecond when he's going to change back into Ben Grimm so that when they're on their honeymoon at the at the right moment they he's going to change back to Ben and then they can really start humping their yeah, <laughs> their honeymoon. Um and it's really sweet. And so they except for that humping. <laughs> So they fly out and there's some great, there's just some great Ben Grimm moments. They're flying off in the fantastic car and, and, uh, and, and, and Johnny calls out, don't do anything I wouldn't do. And Ben yells back, what, like marry a Skrull? (laughs) And and the rest of the family's standing behind Johnny laughing and, and he's like, hey, that's not funny anymore. It's getting old. And it's actually a little hurtful.
0: (laughs) It is because didn't Johnny marry that same woman as a Skrull? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: He thought it really was Alicia. Deep cut. Yeah. Led to strife. Um, So they go off on their honeymoon. There's just so many great... I love Ben Grimm. It's one of my favorite characters. Oh,
0: Roman. Man, we got a (laughs) reprint of This Man, This Monster in relatively early in my career here. And you said, Jeff, go over there and read that. And I did. Uh, (laughs) Roman is my Ben Grimm.
1: One of the best stories. Oh. Uh, But there's so many great Ben Grimm moments. They go to their little beachfront cabin and he gives the the porter, whatever, is waiting for a tip. And Ben finally realizes what he's waiting for. And he's, he's like... He's like, here you go, kid, and he gives him a, a, a signed, a pre-signed photo of himself. and look And look at this photo. It's Ben, and he's lowering his his shades, oh. looking over his shades, looking all cool.
0: <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. That hip hip. Pile and of Alicia
1: lambasts him and everything, and he's like, Hey, those go for like sixty bucks on eBay. And there's there's such sweet romantic moments in this. Um, they're talking, they're walking down the beach that night and talking about his nervousness about becoming human, even though she's known him as a human being before, but there's a story a long time ago where he was worried that Alicia only loved him as the thing, hmm. that if he became human, she wouldn't like him because he wouldn't be strong anymore and, and unique. Who wrote that? I don't remember. It might have, might have been Stan Lee. It might have mm. been Roy Thomas after Stan Lee.
0: That's, uh... That's an awesome twist on just sort of like relationship anxiety, right? Yeah. Like, maybe they only like me because I'm Superman, but like that that Fantastic Four twist of maybe they only like me because I'm a pile of rocks. Like, that's a <laughs> yeah. that's a different layer of that, but it's an interesting yeah. aspect of psychology. Yeah, and they've had
1: that with Ben. Times he like accidentally became human again, and then they couldn't, you know, he wasn't useful on the team, he felt, and like when they hired Luke, Luke Cage to replace him for a while because he wasn't the thing and he was like uh screw you guys you don't need me anymore and (sighs) yeah (laughs) they make they make a nod to that in here because reed tells him don't worry about us you know don't don't you know take any signal devices or anything if if we need muscles luke cage has already said he'll step in (laughs) (laughs) he'll be our fantastic fit." yeah yeah. you know
0: just similar to that i really like him worrying about being human again because uh you know wedding night everyone's a virgin before their marriage no one's ever (laughs) had sex before wedlock so that um that fear of like it's my wedding night it's my honeymoon i'm gonna have to perform yeah you know that both people would exhibit i love this twist on that (laughs) it's like oh god like this is actually probably the first time they've had real human humps yeah maybe without his yeah craggy corn dog
1: yeah and 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 part of that is they're walking along and he's gonna I mean, even ask her about that. Well, we're, we're well past that part about like like me being a weak human or something, right? Right? And she doesn't say anything. And then she tells him that she asked him about the wedding ring because Reed also made the, made Ben a like titanium vibranium wedding ring so that he doesn't have to take it off to go into fighting. It can withstand oh, any, whoever he fights. That's so awesome. But because it's vibranium, it doesn't change size. Like if he becomes human again, mm-hmm. and he's worried. Well. I can't wear it when I'm Ben Grimm. And she says, good. And he's like, why is that? And she gets down on her on one knee and she reproposes to him, gives him a ring that'll fit him as when he's oh. Ben Grimm. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is making me tear up. And, and he's like, and she just gives him the speech. Oh, you know, I just want to be with you no matter what form you're in, no matter who you are. I want to be with you, have a family with you. And, and she gives him this ring that'll fit him as Ben. And he's speechless, and it's just beautiful. Dude,
0: I'm <laughs> borderline tearing up.
1: I love hearing that. It's so sweet.
0: So, you know, characters getting married in comic books uh, is always a thing you take with a grain of salt, like when Batman or Catwoman were going to get married. or something. like You have these permanent characters, they're always going to exist within the same age, so marriage is an in- introduction of change that can't really exist. But... Ben Grimm, The Thing, to me, seems like a character that that could exist for a mm. long time. Yeah. You know, like, he's in the Fantastic Four. Marriage is a component of that series as it is. Yeah. Uh, he's not... He's an A-list character, but he's not like... The kids aren't coming in to make sure they're getting their Ben Grimm drama, right? Yeah. There's actually a sense of hope that I have. Like, there, I guess I dismiss hope for relationships within comics to a certain extent because it's all going to fall apart. <laughs> Maybe I'm just setting myself up for disaster, but I, I'm i actually allowing myself to have faith in this relationship. Yeah. And I like that.
1: <laughs> I like that, too. And for the long... You know, back when... During the original Secret Wars, when Ben went off into space and people didn't know it, that's why Alicia and Johnny hooked up, Johnny thought, because um, they all thought Ben was gone. Well, he was gone. Um, that
0: still makes me like Johnny less.
1: Yeah, and and... Yeah, and just and it was so disappointing. I remember as a kid, cause I was like, "Oh, Alicia, what are you doing?" And yeah. so yeah, I, I like that hope too that these two are always gonna come back together. Now they're together like officially, and and it's gonna last.
0: So this was written by Dan Slott. Yeah, good for him.
1: <laughs> yeah, this is my favorite issue of his FF so far. So then, so then like a mo- like a Godzilla, the, a monster shows up. It's the Hulk, um, and his eyes are red. Don't know why his eyes are red, but he wants to fight the thing, and the, and the thing's like, you know, I don't need to prove anything to you. Fine, you're the strongest there is. Are we done now? You know, <laughs> go away. Um And the Hulk's like, no, I'm, I'm going to kill you. And it turns out he's, he's being controlled by the Puppet Master, who is Alicia's father. Who we saw
0: some stuff with from yeah. that pre-wedding issue.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, he, and he's always been against Ben being involved with his daughter. and. So he's gonna like destroy their honeymoon, destroy Ben, and and his wrist thing is counting down. Every now and then, a panel zooms in on it, and it's like like a minute and a half left or something. So the Hulk attacks oh. him. They have a great Hulk thing battle, partly being so great because the thing's just trying to stop it and trying to warn people to get out of the way and everything, um, and trying to trying to not get in a fight, and and they get in a fight, and he's worried about Alicia. She gets trapped in rubble, all this stuff. Finally, at the de- the end, and this great panel, this final panel is in a great thing line, he's like, fine, I got all the time in the world, and, and his timer has 52 seconds left before he becomes Ben Grimm, and he's still like, I got all the time in the world, put him up, buttercup, and he's going to fight the Hulk.
0: Every aspect of that um, impresses me about Dan Slott's writing. That yeah. That... I saw this cover and I was like, all right, the Hulk versus the thing. Like that's whatever. Sure. Dan slot, whatever. But that level of tension, like bringing in the Hickman aspect of him turning into a human and then making it like they only get one chance a year to get to be humans. again. this is around their wedding. It would be awesome if they could hang out together. Yeah. And then having the Hulk be a part of that and fuck it. Like is actually a moment of tension um, that, that there wasn't tension to me before that. And, yeah. And that's, that's beautiful <laughs> love it love it love it love it yeah
1: i definitely give this ff a 10
0: you give it a 10 oh, oh get yeah. that gooey duck on my counter here <laughs> i'm gonna chop that Boom. thing up for some
1: sushi rolls
0: <laughs> um what i would really love to hear about uh in addition and i can't wait to read that that's gonna be i'm looking forward to it um i've been at the editing board for days now um and i'm just afraid to send out the final crisis one because we look like monsters <laughs> but uh but Marvel's had an epilogue. So they've been oh, doing yeah. an annotated re release of Marvel's Kurt Busick and Alec Ro- Alex Ross. Yeah. Alex Ross doesn't do interior arts that often.
1: No.
0: Um, that's one of the few series he did interiors for. So they re release it with annotations by Kurt Busick. And then they release an epilogue, which has 18 brand new pages of Alex Ross interior art written by Kurt Busick. That doesn't happen.
1: No, and originally they—I guess—they intended this to be a um, an add-on to one of the graphic novel collections. Mm-hmm. And then and I, I forget—I just read in the text piece in back here, either an editor or maybe Alex Ross himself or somebody said, you know, I feel kind of bad about sticking this in a in a forcing people to buy like another reprint collection of Marvels just to get our new eight pages. I mean, they're great pages, but what if we did it as a comic instead? <laughs> and it'll be collected later with Marvels, the annotated Marvels. But this way, you know, people don't have to... It's not the only way they can get it right, to buy a right. hardcover. Um, so
0: this could just as easily be the final issue to the four issues that, you know, you've got in your short box, yeah. your one through four from yeah. 20 years ago. So now you can just add this in there. Yeah,
1: and, and Busiek writes in here that this actually, this epilogue actually happens between issues like one and two of... Marvel's Eye of the Camera, which was the sequel to Marvel's. But
0: Ross Ross did not do the interior. Right, right.
1: But that that doesn't matter because you can read this if you only read Marvel's and it works just as well. And if you did read Marvel's Eye of the Camera, it works that way too. So I know
0: y'all did Marvel's on Infinity Content. Everyone, plug, plug, listen to Infinity Content. Um, I've never finished it. I've never finished the final issue of that series. Where does that series
1: end? Um... It ends, actually it ends, and he's like talks about that too, it, it kind of ends on a downer because uh, the main character, Phil Sheldon, I forget why, but he's angry about something and he's kind of throwing around his camera equipment and everything. And that's kind of where his dramatic story ends. And then I think after that there's a final scene where him, or maybe it's before that, I can't quite remember, there's a scene with him and his wife are talking to like a little neighborhood kid whose name is Danny Ketch. So it Ooh. was a... Nod to the, the '90s Ghostwriter when this came out, and here they mention how, yeah, that's kind of that works, but it's not as cool as we thought it was back then. Because nowadays now the nobody cares about Danny. Catch. Yeah, in
0: the '90s though, like Wizard magazine <laughs> yeah. coming out, Ghostwriter was one of the most popular characters coming out. Yeah, so. he,
1: he was he was like second only to Deadpool back then oh, <laughs> in well, terms yeah, of yeah. cool tough well, characters. You know what's
0: funny is I've been. Um, I want to plug the YouTube and podcast channel Cartoonist Kayfabe that Ed Piscor and Tom Scioli and Jim Rugg do. But one component of their podcast and videos is they go through old issues of Wizard Magazine. And it's so funny, even in, the like, 93, like, no one really gave a shit about Deadpool. Like, mm. uh, <laughs> New Mutants 87 is worth... A ton of money, according to Wizard, in the '90s, and New Mutants '98 is worth nothing. So, like, you compare like Cable's first appearance versus Deadpool's new appearance, uh, first appearance. It's it's very funny that Deadpool really did creep up. It uh, took a long time for him to, to show yeah. up. But.
1: Yeah, yeah, because yeah, I remember the night. I mean, we still all thought of Deadpool's. Oh, he's just Marvel's joke ripoff of Deathstroke. Who yeah. cares?
0: Um,
1: so then, what was oh. this Marvel's epilogue? Where um, did this take
0: place? What was it about?
1: Uh well it's it's actually only 8 pages. Um, Jesus, I thought it was 18. It's tough. <laughs> no, cuz half this book is actually just an interview with Buzaik and and Ross and which is also really good. Um it takes place actually during the the beginning events of X-Men number 98. Okay. <laughs> um and it's at Rockefeller Center, and it's actually a lot of his drawings are based on like th- this page is based on the splash page of that issue of X Men. You
0: yeah, know, it's really interesting because Ed Piskor's X Men Grand Design has a reference to that exact same panel. Oh, and cool! It's got the tree done in the same way yeah. and everything. Yeah,
1: that's awesome. And yeah, he even and I thought Ross did this on his own, but actually the cameos in here are were actually done in that issue of X Men '98. No way! Yeah, there's <laughs> Nick Fury and the Contessa and and. Uh, Various X characters here, so yeah, it's just set. Then Phil Sheldon's there with his daughters, just having a normal night out. He like left his camera at home. He's like, this isn't about work. This is just about my family. Um, And the story is about the daughters for the first time. There, there's. Turns out the X Men are there incognito because Cyclops and uh, Jean, I think, are up in this building doing something, I forget what. Um, Um, And Sentinels show up and start trying um, to go um. after them, and all these people start freaking at the bottom, so the X-Men and Banshee, and this is in the original comic, somehow using his power, like, screams, and his clothes fly off, and he's wearing his costume underneath. (laughs) I I
0: don't know what happens when you scream, Roman, (laughs) but I become nudie.
1: Yeah, but not in a a good way. (laughs) I don't have this cool wind costume. So yeah, they're there, and the daughters for the first time see, like, get to experience kind of what their father has always done in his photojournalism career, and they're asking him at the end of this story, like, is this what it's like? I mean, because they both want to, like, they don't want to leave. They want to see, like, the conclusion of everything, the cops show up, just anything they can. Because, like, they're standing there, and like, what's going on? And Banshee takes off, and Wolverine grabs his leg so he can fly up with him. And then the woman standing next to them is Aurora, and, mm. and she calls down the lightning and transforms, and they're both like, holy crap. And, and nobody knows who they are. Cause these are like pretty new. Most of these characters. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Ninety eight. I mean, yeah. is not
0: far off from giant size X Men number one.
1: Yeah, yeah. And Banshee had been around before as a villain, but nobody had ever seen Storm before, so she's brand new, and they're like, "Who are these people?" So they get in the fight with the Sentinels, and and it's really just about his daughter seeing, "Wow, this is what you've been doing, Dad. This is really cool." I mean, this, and he's surprised because he's like, he at the end of Marvels, he kind of felt like well the su- the marvels the superheroes that's people are afraid of them and they aren't as they're just not as perceived as positively as they were in the forties uh, and then he sees his his daughters being so excited by them and Nova shows up for like music rights this is like in his during his first issue basically um and he sees how his daughters regard them so positively and and so and they're inspired by them and they're both taking pictures with their little, like, cheapo cameras.
0: Oof, I need to see that double-page spread. Yeah,
1: this is just when they at, they're asking Dad about his work, and he's, this is his memories. He's like, yeah, this is what it's mostly been like. I mean, it's news. People need to hear about it, but also just the, the wonder and the heh, marvel of all, all of these things going on. So it's inspirational for him and the daughters, and kind of, like, in some ways, but the look on his face kind of renews his, his hope.
0: Well, I think that's really cool that that exists that way because I've always heard that Marvels is kind of a downer, and more than a history of the Marvel universe, it is more the cataloging of a human being, a, a non-powered person's yeah. history of being exposed to them. And I think it's really cool to sort of put an epilogue out there that ends on a positive note and sort of does like that. That's well, Kurt Busiek is is brilliant. He's so. What do you give it? A ten. Nice.
1: Yeah. Roman. and My only eight-page tenor.
0: <laughs> I uh, I love that you believe that the people deserve Gooey Ducks. Gooey I Ducks. I love that you believe... Gooey Ducks for all. Gooey <laughs> Ducks for all. I want a shirt that says that. Roman is, period. Gooey Ducks for all. Um, oh, my gosh. Uh, we were going to answer oh, what? Josh's question this week. We're actually going to wait a week until we get some more people on board for that <coughs> one. So... I'm gonna answer a portion of Andrew Carlson's questions he had sent in for our hundred and fortieth issue or episode. We're not a comic, we're a we're a podcast. Uh, thank you so <laughs> much, Andrew. Again, Audio issues.
1: <laughs> issues. <laughs> thank
0: you so much to everyone who sent the, pic- the the questions in. We had a blast. There was not a single one that, that was not a wonderful to answer and no. um, it wasn't a dry eye in the house. So Andrew, thank you so much. Uh the, your, your first question is, what is the most memorable or impactful comic you read as a child? I'm thinking of this in terms of either what made you get really into comics or what just helped you shape you as a person. And then a sub-question is, I guess I'll just ask it, what made you get into comics? So, what made you get into comics and what was that first issue? What was that first memorable, impactful moment as a kid where uh, you got sort of, what was that first, that first thing? You think about it for a second. I'm gonna do mine because I have them pretty readily available. Oh, okay. Um, man, my dad was really into superheroes. My dad was an artist, and when he was young, probably in his 20s, he won an art competition where he got to go have lunch with Jack Kirby, and uh, he heard a bunch of stories from Jack Kirby. And but I remember being a little kid and driving around town, going to the hardware store, and on the way home, you know, he would tell me stories. And I just remember him being like oh yeah, like an alien landed on the planet and he had a ring and this guy was of such strong will that he gave him the ring and he could create green objects or or like, yeah, Spider-Man. Got, for some reason, the Green Lantern origin really stood out to me as a kid. Um, but, you know, Superman's origin or Spider-Man's origin, Batman. And I just remember that he would like, I don't even know. They must have been perfectly timed out in the way that he would tell me these origins because I remember all of these moments where he would tell me these stories in my life, I would just be like, kid, let me tell you all this fucking <laughs> cool stuff. So I was just hooked. I remember hearing these stories and, and loving the idea of them. But I inherited a bunch of comics from babysitters or, or whatever. But the first comic that I ever got was a Sergio Argones the mad comic, the mad magazine artist, yeah. a retelling of all the DC characters' origin stories. <laughs> so it was a comedy comic book telling the origins of these characters. And I just remember I knew enough from what my dad told me of what the w- the way that they actually went. And then I just like I remember taking this around to kindergarten or first grade and showing everybody and, and being able to like identify the humor of telling these origin stories in a funny way. like you know, Jorel is making this rocket, and the planet's blowing up. And he's like, yeah, it's got a rocket and it's enough room to send one person to, you know, to a planet I've named Earth. And the image is him trying to get his foot into this tiny <laughs> rocket. And, you know, like his Superman's mom was like, you're not going to fit in there. He's like, oh, you're right. You know, it's like, that's me. That got me hooked on it just deep. I, I to this day, I, I, I live for the moments where I get to sort of reenact that with, with customers. Huh. So what was yours, um, my precious angel?
1: Boy, it's it's really hard to narrow it down. Um God, I love the story about your dad, too, being Jack Kirby. That's so cool. Um, yeah, I think that <laughs> I got to go back and
0: hopefully this summer go to a storage unit where all of the stuff from his house is stored, but he has a framed plaque from winning this award that's got Jack Kirby's signature on it. Wow. Yeah.
1: Wow. <laughs> um, I just keep thinking about your story and the Green Lantern thing because it's such a great, rooted in classic sci-fi. Um, okay, mine got one of the first ones... That really, I was like, "Oh my God, comics are so cool!" It was an issue of Brave and Bold. I don't know the number, um, with Batman and Mister Miracle on the cover, and they're chained together inside a volcano. That oh wait, that's in the issue on the cover. They're trying to they've escaped from the chains. They're trying to out- outrun the flowing lava, <laughs> and it's um, and it was the '70s. So Batman has like this like kind of shocked like scared expression on his face as his white pupils are wide (laughs) the story just the two of because i didn't know batman was an escape artist and i did not know who this mr miracle guy was i was like oh my gosh they're they're both like super houdinis and they look so cool together because batman's all dark dark blue and gray and everything mr miracle's all green and yellow and, and red and they're buddying up and they're helping each other escape but they're also kind of in some in a Kind of in a little bit, little un, one-upmanship, like seeing who's better. <laughs> um, <laughs>
0: silver man, silver age.
1: Yeah. And it was just, I don't even remember, like, who the villain was exactly or what the point of the story was. I just think, oh, this is so cool. And who's this mystery? And he mentions the new gods. And I'm like, who are these people? And it was just all far How old do you think out. you were? Nine, ten. I don't know what year that came out.
0: So there was just something in there. Like yeah. something made yeah. you.
1: Yeah. And there was other things probably around the same time. Amazing Spider-Man, like I think it was 171 maybe, um, on the cover, he's in the sewers and on the cover there's water cascading down over his shoulders and he's just saying about something, oh, I I'm not going to stop and I'm, coming, I'm cu- coming and whoever he's talking to you don't even know. And it just introduced all these concepts to me about, wow. Spider is really cool and I thought he was just above the city and stuff swinging around but he's in the sewer the whole time and it's disgusting so were those your
0: first comics like do you remember how
1: how my, did you get first, your first
0: god the first comic or were they just always in my life honestly they were always there like there. those I were some
1: the, of the first ones oh god okay.
0: I was just gonna say I remember the first I grasped onto but like they were always there there was always a yeah. shelf covered in coverless comics oh yeah in my see home. I didn't
1: I didn't have that um my dad had been to the comics in the, you know, when he was in high school. I mean, he told me he used to have like first appearance of Spider Man and all that. But then when we went off to college, Grandma threw them all away.
0: Grandma. <laughs>
1: I love, I love that
0: about comics. I love that. Yeah, I mean, they were always there, but they're also this sort of like weird shot of, you know, you're just you're, you're a person, and then you have comics, and then you're a different person. It's like a shot of something, man. you remember. Those moments, everyone's got these different moments and different issues and different times, but I love that that's a thing that you can point to and sort of this is my before and this is my after and, and this yeah. is what did it. Well, all right, everybody. We went was, on longer was, was than I meant to. Was there a second
1: to. part of his question?
0: <laughs> oh, it was just sort of the first issue or what no. were the moments that really sealed you on it, hmm. you know, and, and I think we covered that. Andrew, thanks so much for your question.
1: Yeah, that was a great question. We could do a whole podcast just that.
0: could go on forever, but... I'm going to cut this one short because it was going to be 30 minutes. and I think it's a little bit more like 45 now. So uh, thanks so much to everybody. Thanks for your patience on episode 140 getting out in the way that it did. It was huge. And, you know, either way you look at it, you got extra podcasts. The final crisis podcast is going to be out real soon. I've never felt uh, more pretentious than when I was doing that podcast or in the Q&A question when I referred to looking at great artists touching God. I still feel that way. <laughs> I'm still embarrassed. That no, that's nah, the term don't that be always embarrassed. No, mind. no. Thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for asking the questions. Thanks for coming into our store, and we will see you next week for a 142. That's probably going to be a little bit girthier, a little more girthier. gooey duck yeah. on the table.
1: Yeah. Yes. Thank you. We we love you all. We do. Yeah.
0: And each other and comics. So we'll see you next week. Thank you.
1: Thanks. Bye.